Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, many of you are familiar uh, with uh, Elton John. In fact, they just made a biopic about Elton John. I haven't seen it yet, but I hear it's good. Uh, I um, was remembering, though, in light of our Trinitarian consideration this evening, his song, Candle in the Wind, which some of you will remember, I believe it was from 1989, in which he sings about the rather tragic life of Marilyn Monroe. And in the song, he recounts how she was a model and an actress and uh, married several times. And, uh, uh, and she uh, eventually, as you may know, took her own life. And he writes about her with her original name in the song and uses lyrics uh, that are these. Uh, Goodbye, Norma Jean, though I never knew you at all, you always had the grace to hold yourself while those around you crawled. They crawled out of the woodwork and they whispered into your brain. They set you on a treadmill and they made you change your name. And then he sings famously, and it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind, never knowing who to cling to when the rain set in. Now, this song is about the fact that this beautiful woman, with all of her loveliness and light and incandescence, uh, was a delicate, unstable, and insecure person who would, when uh, the moment of crisis came, cling to a source that would not provide her the necessary shelter to keep her incandescence going. Uh, And she's not unique in that way, because that's all of us. All of us are uh, beautiful candles. Uh, you have your own uh, glory of God right there in you, and it, uh, it uh, shines in, in a way that I, I mean, I see it, and the people that you live with, the people that you love see it, and yet we are very, very prone to wander and attach and make attachments that tend to dim uh, rather than uh, fan into flame the gifts that we have. And... Um, That's true for us, of course, that we are dimming candles, and it's true for all of our causes, the very causes that you find so uh, fructifying and exalting today will not be that way in about three months. You'll lose your nerve, you'll lose your energy, you'll get tired, your diet will change, so your energy will change. Um, Or the the very things that are um, of great interest to you right now, sort of your hobbies that are grabbing your attention and all of the fascinating conversations that you're having with your your parents or whomever, uh, those things will fade in their incandescence. uh, And uh, the, the churches that you belong to will go through all sorts of interesting warps and woofs and the and temperature changes and uh, and they won't be the, the the glory won't be the same right in 20 years I mean that, that's just the nature of life that we are all candles in the wind whether we like to admit it or not but there is a, a grand exception to the rule that everything and everyone you love is a candle in the wind the one thing that isn't or the one reality that isn't the one personage that isn't is the God that is displayed in Holy Scripture as Father Son and Holy Spirit 
this uh, doctrine, this doctrine, which is a heavy word, I know, but an important one, this doctrine of the Trinity is meant to suggest to you and to me that there is something everlasting that is beyond space and time and yet implicit and present within space and time, but something everlasting that never, ever dims in its glory and radiance and impressiveness and importance. And the undying, always steady, and steadying character in person is the one that we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Christian contention is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are uh, equal in glory and everlasting in their own personhoods, and yet all one God. But let me talk about the everlasting quality, because that's the thing I'm really clinging to, because we live in, su- in a time of such shakiness and quaking, and maybe you can sense that in yourself right now. I certainly sense it in me, especially in the last few weeks. I mean, it's been hard, hasn't it? Hard to watch what's going on. Well, let me talk about the eternal Father, the eternal Son, and the eternal Spirit very briefly. I'm going to talk about the Trinity briefly. Can you imagine such a thing? I'm going to give it my best shot. Um, so the eternal Father. What's a word that would describe the eternal Father, the meaning implicit in the internal, eternal Father? I think it's the word consistency. Consistency. What do I mean? Well, uh, that God is always displayed in terms of his fatherhood as the um, constant as the uh, consistent, sovereign, providential ruler of heaven and earth, the one who won't let things get so out of control that, that there's a complete meltdown in creation and everything is dissolved. Uh, he's interestingly displayed in Western Catholic iconography as an old man. You may know that in Eastern iconography, the East, uh, the Orthodox never display God the Father for very obvious reasons. But in the West, Michelangelo, um, you know, believed that he could paint God as an old man wearing a pink dress of some sort. I'm not so interested in the pink dress, but I'm interested in the long beard, right? So he displays God the Father as a very old man with a very long white beard. Now, why was he doing that? Well, he was doing that to suggest that there's something about God the Father in, in terms of God's fatherhood that is ancient, that is, uh, that has authority, that has wisdom, and so he displays God the Father in his consistency, in his uh, uh, patriarchal quality as an old man. And he's trying to suggest that this is the entity that brings order, structure, and governance to the world. He gives the world pattern as well as artistry. So he withholds the chaos and he adds beauty to creation, but that he is the game setter. He is the one who uh, creates the boundaries and the consistency within creation. Well, then there's the eternal son. Now, what would be a word that would summarize the meaning of the eternal son? How about intervention? Intervention. That God was not contained in a role of consistency and law and order, but instead came to intervene, that God conjoined himself to his own order and pattern and uh, skin cells, right? God joins himself in order to rescue the beleaguered and self-sabotaging human race. Now, this doctrine of the eternal son's uh, uh, godhood was the largest controversy in the early church that took hundreds of years to sort out. Was Jesus, that is Jesus of history, the Christ of history, really and fully God? Was he the eternal torch of being or something less than? Well, there was a very famous presbyter who was really well-learned named Arius who believed and taught that Jesus was not just a man. He was something like an angel or a supernatural figure, 
but he was not God. In fact, Arius used to throw around a, a, a quippy phrase that he invented, which was this, there was when he was not. In other words, there was a time when this Jesus didn't exist, right? He was a creation out of the love of God the Father. <clears throat> and this led to an impressive furor in the early church. Uh, and uh, there was a pushback against Arius from the Orthodox party, not uh, because they didn't think that Arius was bright and impressive in his own uh, right, but because they believed that the scripture itself taught very much that Jesus was divine. More than that, in Arian churches, the Orthodox would point out, you are all worshiping Jesus. In all your little Arian churches, you are singing hymns to Jesus Christ as if he were God. So actually, you're committing blasphemy by your own logic. And, uh, and lastly, they said there's also an immense pastoral cost if you Arians are right. If you believe that Jesus was not God, was not God from God, light from light, very God of very God, if he was just a creature rather than the creator, you have immense pastoral losses. Here are a few of them. One, there's no atonement. No atonement. Because God was not in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That means that God was not disclosed in Christ. There was no God in Christ to be revealed. And so we still don't know who the real God is because he wasn't unveiling himself in Jesus Christ and in Jesus's death and resurrection. Additionally, that means you don't know that God loves you at all or has any grace toward you because God was not in Christ doing those things for you on your behalf. So God could have a very different disposition than the creature Jesus that he made. And lastly, mercy is not, therefore, eternally qualifying because it has no eternal source. But the doctrine of the Trinity boldly states in line with scripture and the tradition of the early church that God is everlastingly the son and therefore everlastingly your intervener. God does not change his intervening disposition toward you based on your sin or lack thereof. God is forever your intervener in the son. And his work is therefore eternally effective to save and redeem you. So eternal father, consistency, eternal son, interventionist, and eternal spirit, nearness. It's interesting that Jesus said at the Last Supper that he would not leave us as orphans or leave us comfortless, but he would be with us till the end of the age. And then he said goodbye. I'll be with you always. Sayonara. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm going to send you a version of myself that will be universally applicable and accessible to you at all times and in all places. Therefore, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that means nearness to you. What does the spirit do? Takes the father role in all of his consistency and all of his order and structure and beauty within creation and takes all of that truth and applies it to you and takes God the son and all of his redeeming grace and love and compassion and mercy and applies that to you. So he takes all of the data that we act out and talk about out here and applies it to the core of your emotional, psychological, and spiritual lives. The Holy Spirit takes the truth and brings it home, brings it near to you. Uh, the Holy Spirit is here to help us, therefore, in the present time, near us where we need him. In other words, God is not like your Aunt Shirley who lives in Nebraska that you see once every 15 years. Instead, the Holy Spirit is right there, lives in your house, uh, and will not go. Um, so the Trinity, the Trinity displays a God who 
is truly unlike anything else or everyone else in the cosmos, from the ants to the Alps. He is always unshaken and undimming, eternal in his fatherhood, eternal in his sonship, and eternal in his spirit. God is not a mood. God is not a whim. God is not a candle in the wind. He is the everlasting light to whom we yield our flickering torches and our nearly extinguishing candles because we learn from scripture that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That includes yours. It is in this undying light that you have been baptized, by the way. You have a derivative identity in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have been brought near and immersed in the eternal name, and therefore you will never die because your king and God never dies. This is the Trinity, the unchanging, undying light in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. They took your life. They could not take your